0: Hello and welcome to the Bible with Me podcast from Precept UK. We are a Christian charity based in Salisbury that equips people to know God deeply so they can live differently, using a wide range of Bible study resources for all ages and levels of understanding. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of the ministry and we would love to encourage you to seek the truth of God's word for yourself using one of our inductive study books, available at preceptorg.uk. Now without further ado, here's Nigel with the latest episode of the Bible with Me podcast.
1: Well, good morning, everybody. I am really uh, delighted to be welcoming uh, Pete Gilbert to the podcast today. Pete grew up and was educated in Lancashire and after university in Hull was a centre director for British Youth for Christ in the east end of London until the mid-1980s. Since then, Pete has fulfilled a variety of roles um, to do with evangelism, uh, planting churches, mentoring, church leadership, And also, discipleship. Uh, He enjoys mending watches. He enjoys the opera, theatre, and also escapology, which is our first, I think, on the podcast. Um, Not so keen on um, hypocrisy, and I think we could all agree with that, uh, or liver and onions. So, if you ever invite him around for dinner, don't serve him liver and onions. Um, He's married to Nikki. Uh, together they have two grown children, Freddie Claire, and Josh James. Uh, welcome to the program, Pete. Thank you so Thank much you. for being uh, with me today. Uh, my pleasure, Nigel. I'm really looking forward to this. Um, so Pete, how did you come to faith in Jesus Christ and why do you follow Jesus? Okay,
0: great. Opening questions. Um, so I was raised uh, in Lancashire in a Christian environment, a Christian family. So my my grandfather, my mother's father, was a Methodist minister and a church planter himself. And we went to the church that he, he led. Uh, my mother was the Sunday school superintendent. So she taught me through Sunday school. My dad was the church organist and the church treasurer. Uh, And I'm talking far enough back that I actually used to pump the organ, hand pump the organ uh, for the singing of the hymns and so on. So I kind of, I I was brought up with all of that, which I'm deeply grateful for because I think it actually probably saved me from quite a lot of stuff that I might have got into. But I think the flip side of that for me, Nigel, was that I kind of grew up believing that I was in by default, that I was almost almost as I was one of God's grandchildren <laughs> because of my parents uh, being so uh, in love with him and, and connected to the church. And it wasn't actually until I left home and went to university at Hull that um, I began to realise that God doesn't have any grandchildren. Um, he's only got children. <laughs> and I was confronted at university in the most loving way with a bunch of people who... Are, captivated by the difference that they made to people around them they were the, they were the people who would be at the university to help the freshers arrive before they had to be they were the ones who welcomed all the social misfits who were very bright but ha- had no social skills but they would sit with them and over meal times and so on and and just basically love them and I asked them why they did this and they said well it's because we're Christians and I said no 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 you don't understand I'm a Christian but I you know I wouldn't do and and God began to get under my skin really and I then went through two weeks of awful, like hell on earth, where God was just showing me consistently what I was like on the inside in terms of my own selfishness and self-centeredness and insecurities and so on. And then He spent a week after that showing me what He was really like—not just the kind of stern, austere God that I'd read about or heard about, but that He was a loving, forgiving, merciful Father. And uh, and as a result of that, I thought, well, what what can I do? <laughs> and I gave in basically and surrendered, sobbing on my knees in my room at Needler Hall in Cottingham near Univer- Hall University, and um, and I followed him as closely as I can and let him down loads of times. It's all that time; I was 19 years old, and I'm now 63. Um, but he's never let me down. And the reason why I follow him now, all those years in, is because he's utterly kind utterly consistent utterly reliable never never brushes anything under the carpet but is unwavering in his love towards me he's my hero he's my role model and ultimately he's truth i can remember resting with that at university and thinking i have a choice here but i kind of don't have a choice because where else would i go he is the truth the way the life uh, as it says in john 14 and and so uh, i followed him
1: yeah. ever since now that is such a fascinating thing that you you said that um about so you grew up in a christian family a christian household probably went to church pretty regularly heard lots of sermons i mean the whole the whole gambit you were you were you were you were right there yep. and yet and yet you're saying you were like a grandchild rather than a child you 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 hadn't appropriated faith in surrender to christ for yourself despite growing up in that environment now so what i want to ask you is because there may be others in that situation listening to this podcast there may be there may be some young folks who who who, who may end up listening to this thinking well yeah my, my parents were christians my da, 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 da. so what what was the i mean you've sort of mentioned it what made the change? What made the difference? What, what made you start thinking? Uh, I guess it was those people at uni that, that challenged you about what they, how they were living out their faith. Was that what it was? And, and so you yeah. suddenly came to realise, well, you know what, I'm not sure I am really what a Christian is supposed to be, or think the way that a Christian should think. Yes. I don't want to put words in your yes. mouth. But... I think, yeah, yeah, I think initially it was
0: the challenge of seeing faith lived out, rather than just something that you ingested and probably maintained one day a week on a Sunday. So it was the challenge of everyday faith in action. But what I then had to go away with was wrestle with whether morally I would yield to God, whether I would surrender the ownership, the running of my life, and and then do that from there on in, in cooperation with the Holy Spirit, rather than me make my decisions and ask God to bless them. And so I suppose what had to happen for me was a kind of you know what I call the 18-inch drop from a lot of head stuff, which I didn't believe I genuinely believed but it had to drop from here to here so that I yielded received forgiveness and then chose to live life in the in the help and the, and the power of the Holy Spirit from there on in so that since then and, and please don't hear what I'm not saying I get it wrong loads of times but my my aim since then has been whenever in life's journey my my path crosses God's path I have I'm at a crossroads I have a decision to make will I yield will I go God's way or will I go my way and uh, and I found that actually going God's way funny enough works best because it's God's world and he knows how to live in it so yeah
1: that's I, you remind me of George Muller uh, George Muller the you know um the the pioneering um Prussian who lived in Bristol and, yep. and set up orphan homes orphanages and for thousands of people over many years and at the end of his life he was asked, you know, was there a moment in your life looking back that that you you can point to which unlocked everything that you've been able to do for God? And he said, yes, it was the day that I died to George Muller.
0: Yes, yes, exactly. exactly.
1: And, and surrendered to him. Yes.
0: So, and I find that the, she asked me about Jesus. Jesus is not just the end goal. He is that. He is supreme above all else. But he's also the means to the goal, so it's now his life in me and my life in him that is outworked. It's not me struggling and striving to to be a better person as though somehow I could earn God's love. Uh, what I've discussed—that I mean that's the spirit of the age. You know, do well enough, you'll be rewarded. But actually, in the kingdom of God, it's completely the reverse. You have to yield and you have to receive because of God's love and His
1: mercy and His grace. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm detecting a bit of evangelism coming out here, but we'll come on to that. <laughs> um now you've mentioned a little bit about this, but but what are your memories of growing up, your home life and and schooling? I mean, were you were you sort of uh, you know, the sort of best at this and best at that or or I mean what what, what, what was your whole sort of growing up like?
0: um no I'm not sure I was was the best anything really um I kind of bumbled my way through uh, fairly average I suppose um I went to I did go to grammar school You sat the 11 plus in those days I went to grammar school um and that was a, a distance bus ride away from home so that was a bit of an adventure having gone to a local Anglican school on my doorstep sort of thing um but my upbringing was was good, actually. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I, I I can remember, for example, going, you mentioned this, going to church every Sunday, twice on a Sunday, uh, at my granddad's church. I can remember Sunday school. I can remember winning my first Bible, which is in the shelf behind me, uh, which was an authorised version back in those days, through, through memorising Bible verses uh, for Sunday school. Uh, I can remember mum praying uh, with us every, uh, or dad, but usually mum, every night we would pray together as I was going to sleep in bed. Every morning over breakfast, mum would read uh, passages from scripture to me. I can remember reading from John's gospel and stuff like that. So uh, many fond memories. And I think, as I say, although I really appropriated that for myself when I was probably about 19 years old at university. I think that that was such i I'm so grateful to God and to my parents because I think the reality is it did save me from getting involved in a lot. I mean, I got involved in enough stuff, but it saved me from getting involved
1: in a lot of other stuff. So I've got very happy memories of, of growing up. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. Now you read English language and literature with drama at university, and then joined uh, British Youth for Christ as one of its centre directors um, in the east of London. Uh, What did your role involve? uh, What were some of the things that you saw God do during your time with British Youth for Christ? Mm. Uh, so
0: I, uh, I got involved with Youth for Christ while I was at university. They, they helped us put on some missions at, at the university where people found faith in Christ, uh, and so I got to know some of the kind of key players in Youth for Christ back in those days. And that, we're talking the nineteen seventies, um and uh, and when we got to that frantic place at the end of university, and in those days, all my friends were writing letters. What you do in those days? Sending off, looking for jobs. The only The only job that sat with me, the only letter I wrote was actually to British Youth for Christ saying, could I could I I think God might be calling me? I want to tell people about Jesus. Could I could I? could I have a job? <laughs> and uh, and they interviewed me, and in my opinion, took a huge risk on me. Um, God by now had called me to be an evangelist, and I'd argued with him and said, let me go to Bibles College first, and he said no, and would let me get a job first so that I'd not so sort of, you know, green <laughs> And up. And he said, no, you make your mistakes in the field, and I've been doing that um, ever since. So when I started with Youth to Christ, my my role involved Uh, telling people about Jesus wherever and however I could, predominantly, obviously, young people, uh, 11 and upwards. And that involved me in about 25 schools, junior junior and senior high schools, Um, and 10 borough youth centres. For a while, I was actually employed part-time by the borough of Waltham Forest to go into their youth centres to try to change the tone and the atmosphere and the behaviour of a lot of these East End kids, um, and then work on the streets and stuff like that, and and uh, I, I loved it. I mean, it was tough. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you, Nigel. I, I, I was raised in a in a semi-rural location. I suddenly found myself for seven years in the East End of London. It was it was hard work. I I, I made loads of mistakes. I overworked and had burned out within two years. Basically, I had a nervous breakdown, uh, which God rescued me from um, because I was so zealous and yeah. felt guilty about not working and all yeah. that, you know, all that sort of stuff, mistakes that you make early days ministry. But my goodness me, God was kind, and we we saw we saw hundreds of people become Christians over those seven years, established wow. in discipleship groups in churches around the the borough of Waltham Forest and uh, I've not been back for quite a while now but as far as I'm aware the Waltham Forest Youth for Christ is is still alive and well and doing a similar good job for
1: Jesus so yeah yeah that was it really. Wow good on you that that's amazing really I mean that that really is amazing that you know you say you really gave your life to Christ at 19 and then you left university I guess at 22 something like that. In 21 yeah. And then uh, and then you're on the road, hitting the road, telling people about Jesus. I mean, yes. Yeah. That, yes. That really is a sleep learning curve. Uh, I was, yeah, I was going to say, in a different context, a uh, different environment. Uh, I'm sure people, um, you weren't always well-received as you were telling them about Jesus, you know. Uh, no, that's true. We uh, we had a few hairy moments where we would be attacked
0: in uh, on the streets or in youth centres. I remember being pinned to the wall with a snooker cue under my neck at one point, and saying "Jesus loves you," but <laughs> Jesus, love Jesus loves you, and thinking I think I'm about to get hit, but uh, but God's good. God's good, and uh, and you learn a lot about what about who you are and what you really believe when you when you're facing stuff like that. I think. And God is unfailingly good. So, yeah.
1: Wow, amazing! Now, uh, since uh, the mid nineteen eighties, you have been uh, a self-employed evangelist um, with no fixed income, um, uh, which you said in your notes to me is great. <laughs> I will. T- I'd like you to talk about that in a minute. Um, what lessons have you learned over the years about the most effective ways to evangelize? um and what would you want to pass on to others about evangelism and you may want to um define evangelism as well you know as you as you kick that off so people listening to this may think well what's all that about you know um so yeah yeah, lessons you've learned um about effective ways to do this uh what would you want to pass on to others who are stepping out in this and also the whole business about having no fixed income and how, how does that work
0: okay cool well, evangelism, the word evangelism comes from a, a word in the New Testament, actually, a little Greek word in the New Testament. Um, and it, the, the word in its original context was a military term. Um, and it, was, it, it, it denoted the, the heralding or the proclaiming, the broadcasting, if you like, of life-changing victory good news of a military defeat of your enemy. That's literally what the word means, and it's come it's come now for us in shorthand to be known as the good news or the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ, um, and. Uh, I, God called me to be an evangelist at university. Uh, I struggled with that. I didn't want to do that. I'd gone to university wanting to make lots of money and be my own boss. <laughs> and uh, and so I wrestled with God over the whole thing. And then when he he, he finally nailed me, because ultimately, it's always good to give in to God quickly, because he'll get you there anyway. And it's it's only for your good in any case. So don't, if, don't be a Jonah. Don't be a Jonah. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, exactly. So when I when I gave in, i am just be honest with you, Niles, I thought, well, if I've got to do this for God, um, I, at least I want to feel good about it I want to feel it, that it's something important so he's called me to be an evangelist I'll check that out in the bible because and I read in the bible things like God is unwilling for any to perish God wants all people everywhere to raise holy hands and so on so I thought well the bible must be crammed full of evangelists then if he's calling me to this is important it must be full of evangelists and I did the word studies and, and of course <laughs> it isn't the the word, the word evangelist is only mentioned three times in the whole of the New Testament, uh, and I think, well, what, what's going on? He's called me to be an evangelist, but I, I don't get much of a mention. What's going on? As I thought, I'm probably trying to feed my ego, if I'm honest. And then I, I began to realise, as I read and as God showed me stuff, that that there is another word in the New Testament which is actually much more important. It's used 69 times versus three, and that's the word "marturio," which which means witness. Yeah. Um, and and actually, that's what I've learned. I think is that when it comes to evangelism, we tend in Christendom we tend to put the evangelist on the on the pedestal, and and call the evangelist in to do the work because it's so tough where we live and all. But actually, the most important person when it comes to evangelism is not the evangelist; it's the witness. And the evangelist's primary role is not just the doing of evangelism, the sharing of their faith. But it's the equipping of the saints for works of service, Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 13. And and so I started to put an emphasis away from myself, very humbling experience, which I'm grateful to God for, and began to try to to train and equip the saints and therefore multiply the effectiveness of of little old me. And, And, you know, when my diary gets full, is that it? no. We could train an army of believers to love people, to love God, to love people and to learn to love themselves the way that God loves them. Uh, And so that's what I embarked on. And I guess in many ways, that's what I have been doing um, ever since. And in terms of your question, you know, what what works best? (laughs) um, The best form of evangelism is the Jesus form of evangelism. No surprise there. Uh, and the Jesus form of evangelism, you know, this is a son of God. He's got three, three and a half years of public ministry before he goes off like a skyrocket to be back with his dad in heaven. And and what does he do? He spends about fit, you do the stats, he spends about 50% of his time with individuals, with people, often over meal tables, walking with them, fishing with them, cooking barbecues on the beach, you know. And and so and so he gets called. by his enemies actually Jesus Christ the friend of sin sinners the word is prosdekomai. it means to hold somebody to embrace somebody to yourself even if that is a personal cost Uh, and so the best way of of sharing your faith is to love on people it's to it's to befriend them it's to have time for them it's not to preach at them it's to it's to live a life which demands an explanation And then your words, it's important to use words. I hear people say, Oh, use words if you have to. I think that's a bit of a cop out. You have to use words, but your words should be an explanation of your lifestyle, which is a demonstration. And you do that best by building bridges of friendship. So, friendship evangelism. Uh, What's the, oh, in terms terms of how I live. um, So, when I was with Youth of Christ, I had to be on a salary they, in those. I don't it's still true, but you, in those days, you had to be on a salary with Youth for Christ, which I, I completely got. But God was talking to me about I was I was talking to God about wanting more faith in my ministry. I wanted more faith to see more people saved, more people healed, more people delivered of demons, all the, all the stuff that you read about in the New Testament. And God said to me, Peter, you can have more faith in your ministry. And I'm thinking, yes. And then he said, but first, you must have more faith in your lifestyle. And and I couldn't, I, 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 I don't know if this is what he was saying, Nigel, but I couldn't equate that to anything except in our kind of culture, that means I've, I've got to do something about my money, my income. So what I did for the for a year with Youth for Crisis, I stopped claiming all my expenses. I stopped claiming for petrol and postage and stationery and all that stuff. And I, I wasn't on a huge salary and it shouldn't have worked. And of course it did work. And that gave that built enough faith in me, I suppose, that the year after that, as when I left Youth for Christ uh, to become self-employed and to basically God said, Peter, you will not live by bookings. You'll live by my faithfulness. And sometimes people said to me, oh, Pete, you live by faith. God, that's cool. I do not live by faith. If I live by faith, I'd be starving by faith. Uh, I, I live by God's faithfulness. And that's a very, very different. It's not about the, how much faith I can muster up. It's about the little bit of faith I've got invested in the one who is faithful. And he's, he's my faithful father. So ever since 1985, I've been off a salary. I don't charge people for what I do. They give me whatever they want to give me. Uh, they listen to God about that. And, uh, and we've not wanted. So God is God is good.
1: Wow, that's fantastic! What an what an amazing um, witness <laughs> witness to his faithfulness. Um, now, I know that mentoring is another real passion of yours. Uh, mentoring leaders of Christian organisations and also Christian businessmen. Uh, so, a couple of questions related to this: um, Who who do you mentor, and how do you go about doing this work? And why has this been important to you? And mm. what fruit do you see? Cool. Okay, thank you.
0: Um, yes, so I, I, I actually, I mean, I do talk about mentoring and I do mentor, but the word mentor or mentoring actually comes from Greek mythology. Um, so it's probably, probably clearer to talk about discipling people in a in a in a, a really intentional and uh, and intense in terms of time span uh kind of a way um the people that i mentor there are currently 17 people that i'm mentoring and they would all of them be as you described they're either christian church leaders or they are christian organizational leaders you would have heard of some of the organizations um uh, or they are christian businessmen uh, and then occasionally I'll mentor them with their wives and with my wife that's that's our photograph behind me as you can see there. and we've been married 30, 34 years now um so so that's that's what it what it looks like in terms of how I do that um most of the people that I mentor I've known for a good number some for, for 20 or more years uh, so it's deeply relational um I I, I do firmly believe that transformed lives happen through relationship we get transformed out of relationship with God and we give that away to other people in relationship so it's not just about helping people acquire head knowledge it's about helping them to earth that and to appropriate it and you might imagine Nigel that when you're dealing with Christian leaders quite often they're strong characters Uh, They can be quite driven. (laughs) They can be alpha males and and they're often um, high ambition, achievement orientated for all the right reasons, doing stuff for God, his kingdom and so on. But a lot of the trick is actually getting them to slow, to slow down and to learn to be again before they do some more stuff. And the way I do that is usually face to face. So most of the, my, the people that I mentor come up here. Uh, I live in the Highlands of Scotland where phone signals don't work very well, which is a good thing for them. Can't get the company emails all the time. And uh, they'll do, usually do a 24 hour spell with me where we'll work through probably about eight hours of intensive work, do an overnighter where we just chill down. So we'll chill down. We'll, we'll have a nice meal. My wife, my son, when the kids were younger, around the family table, all of which speaks to them about family and, and about slowing and about relaxing and about fun and, 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 and fellowship and so on. And then, and then usually the next morning we'd pick it up again and we'd always pray and set goals for them before the next time that they're with me. And I would do that with most of them three times a year in the uh, global pandemic that we've all been facing Uh, i've continued to do that um, but i've been doing that obviously by zoom which is i'm grateful to god for the technology but it is inferior Um, so i'm looking forward to in fact i started already to getting people back uh, in my home in terms of my commitment to it uh, i think i'm 63 now I'm, i'm sure i'm surely 64 uh, I'm grateful to God for good health and energy and enthusiasm and theos full of God. Um, but the reality is I can't do now what I used to do then. Your energy levels are not what they were. So you have to learn, I think, to, to box cleverer. Um, and one of the ways you do that, I think, is by strategic investment in the lives of other people. Uh, and so what I'm looking for all the time is transformation and multiplication of their lives and their ministry. And they're all leaders. They're either setting the toad in kingdom businesses or in Christian organizations and churches. And so my hope and my prayer and my observation would be that we are seeing people become more whole through a process of relational accountability and input. And as as we become more whole, the the bonuses, I mean, that's that's an end in itself. That's God's committed to that. But the bonus is that we become more fruitful
1: yeah wonderful i mean the, the, it's interesting a lot of similarities in, in some senses with what we're seeking to do uh, a precept actually because yeah. um uh, we are very intentional about equipping people to study god 's word and to to take people from a um well yes I know the word of god you know uh, from reading it to actually studying it and and you know i've been you know really um you, you've been mentioning some greek words here and and you've mentioned the 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 phrase word studies and 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 we do, we do all of that too and uh i mean when i became a christian i didn't have a clue that the old testament was written in hebrew and a bit of aramaic and the new testament was written in greek i thought it was written in english you know i mean how how stupid am i um and so um and you're right uh, you know you you are one person and you know one day you're going to be called to glory as we all are and and then what happens next and so i love what you're saying about strategically investing uh, I mean Jesus strategically invested in 12 and really? we're here as a result, aren't we? I mean, absolutely. absolutely unbelievable. And some of those people you and I probably wouldn't have chosen. Yes. <laughs> well, I wouldn't have chosen myself. So. <laughs> and so and so multiplication and yeah, equipping people so they can go and equip others. I mean it's the two Timothy two yes. model, isn't it? Yes. Um uh, so yeah, that is that is really that is really great. And uh um, and what, what are some of the results that you see of this? I mean, I guess it's a journey for, for everybody, but.
0: Yes, yes, it is. I think, well, the tangible results are people, um, finding greater definition in who they are in Christ and becoming more at peace. Uh, I think one of the afflictions of, of our age is that we're constantly seeking, um, a, a, a reinforcement of our identity but commonly doing that in all the wrong places so mistaking our identity for our role or for our function or or for or even for good relationships you know a, a father or a son or whatever good things but not sufficient in themselves and so the tangible process of transformation i think puts us closer in contact with who we are in Christ and how Christ works through us and so I'll take them on journeys of, of exploration, little exercises of, of centering, of, of meditation on scripture and on God's creation as it reveals Him. Um, we'll we'll explore very commonly some of the backdrop to their lives because unless we deal with stuff. We end up living out of reaction to the to the ghosts of the past, and so the action that you get is dis, the reaction you get is disproportionate to what causes it, and that's always a clue. You know, why am I reacting so strongly? It's a wise person who realizes they learn more about themselves from their reactions than from their actions. Mm-hmm. So it's an exploration of what has gone into making them, who they are, how they are, but also who they are becoming in yeah. Christ. Um, and, and, and seeing people change, seeing the light drop, seeing, uh, i give you one simple little il- illustration. Uh, years ago, I was still mentoring this person, I had a Christian businessman uh, come up to see me, uh, he'd hooked into me through another organisation, Christian organisation, of which he was the Chair of Trustees. And uh, he said, Look, let's do some stuff, be my spiritual mentor, whatever. I said, great, let's explore that. And he came up here and he wanted to, right, what, what are you going to do? Do, 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 what do we, here's the, what's the list? You know, what, what are you going to, what are we achieve? We've got so many hours. What are you going to do? Very business, very driven, very goal orientated. Um, all good, but only one way of approaching things. And I basically said to him in those early days, uh, I tell you what, why don't we go out, go out for a drive in the car to the to the coast, which is like 10 minutes away, because uh, I can almost guarantee you that six feet off the shore, we're going to see a pod of dolphins fishing. How about that? And he completely freaked. He absolutely couldn't cope with it, and we didn't do it. It took about 18 months of him coming up three times a year before I got him on the beach walking, being, enjoying God, not having to take off a... To do. And it's that kind of transformation of getting people in touch with God and in touch with who he's making them to be rather than just being performance driven, as though somehow they've got to do this stuff for God.
1: Yeah, very good. Very good. We all need to hear that. <laughs> um, now, you, you are currently the team leader for an organization called DNA, uh, a church based yeah. leadership development Discipleship course. A uh, couple of questions related to this. Um, DNA is over 30 years old now. Um, how did it start and what is its sort of mission vision?
0: Mm. Cool.
1: Okay, well, it started back in 1987.
0: Um, when it was called something else it was called Thai Teams which stood for training in evangelism teams and Thai Teams emerged out of a network of churches called the Pioneer Network of Churches which is still thriving in in existence in the UK and 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 abroad as well actually Um, and at that stage I was a part of the Pioneer Network of Churches and the Pioneer Team and God had spoken to us really clearly about the need to strategically evangelize whole towns and cities And that the best and most biblical way of doing that through friendship was the planting of churches, the starting up of new things. Instead of trying to change old things, the starting up of new churches. Uh, But it doesn't take a genius, does it, to realize if you're going to try to do that in Christ, um, you're going to need a whole raft of new leaders and bring them through quickly and thoroughly. And so we started this thing called Thai Teams, training in evangelism teams to, to create a raft of of new and generally speaking, younger, 18 to 25 uh, leaders and get them in place. So, so evangelists, pastors, teachers, prophets, apostles, the whole uh, Ephesians 4 mandate, really. And we did that uh, as Thai teams. And I was part of the start of that. And we did that for 10 years until 1997. And then in 1997, by this time I was leading the thing. But in 1997, God said to me very clearly, um, you are to, to lay it down, you are to kill it. It was thriving, it was doing well, but you are to kill it because I want to I want to grow something out of it. Um, and long story short, that was to be DNA. And so we started DNA, I, I laid high teams down, and we started DNA in 1997 based on the same foundations but with a much stronger emphasis on discipleship as well as on evangelism uh, and on mission. And And the... The purpose of it, the vision of DNA, is to recognise and to release and then to resource what I call breakthrough women and men of God, people who want to make a difference with their lives and realise this is not a rehearsal and they they want to count for God. And so it's it's recognising and releasing and resourcing breakthrough women and men of God to see them become more whole because we're all broken. And as they become more whole, they become more fruitful. And that's, that's our goal.
1: Wow. Wow. And, and um, you've, you explained how you got involved with that. I mean, what, what is DNA up to today? How, how do you go about doing that discipleship mm. training? Mm. And also, what, what do you see God doing through, through DNA? Mm. Well, we,
0: we've trained since since we started back in 1987, we've uh, we've actually lost track because back in the day, the records weren't kept as well as they are now. Um, but it's well in excess of 1,500 people on the year-long course. It's like 1,500 years of, of in-depth, intentional discipleship training. The way that we do it now um, is those people come to us for a year. They can come for less, three months or six months, but most people come to us for a year, which is it's kind of like a year in with God, if you like, of intentional journeying and discipleship, which looks at three areas of their lives. It looks at discipling them in terms of their their head, their understanding. So it's quite a lot of theology. There's a lot of Bible exploration involved in all of that. I love what you're saying about the Bible. Um, it's it's discipleship of the hands. So in other words, growing them in their gift sets, their skills, and natural and supernatural gift sets, uh, but predominantly. The discipleship of the heart. So head, hands and heart. And by heart, I mean character, who they are in Christ, their identity in Christ, their self-worth, self-image, the father heart of God, or all those crunchy things that, that either hold us back or spring us forward. Uh, for Jesus, and uh, and so we, dis- we we're involved in intentional discipleship across the year. You can do DNA uh, and still hold down a full time job very easily, or you could be part time with your church, or you could be full time education. Um, because we, the way we do it is, we spread the input, the teaching, the prayer, and the ministry over twelve sort of time slots across an eleven month period. So it's roughly speaking once a month, yeah. uh, and those are either a two-day block where we gather together well we will be doing post-covid um for a for a friday and a saturday so it's weekend you, you don't have to take time off work uh and then three times we do four four days thursday to saturday beginning middle and end like little residentials if you like and they're intense times when we bring in practitioners people who are passionate and expert in their field not just theoreticians and they teach and they share their heart and lots of information and top tips and prayer ministry and so on to shape people in the discipleship process it's church-based so everybody on dna it does their year in the context of local church their local church usually about 70% do it in their own church. If they want to change for a year because their church can't give them the opportunity they need, or, or maybe they got saved at uni and they've not settled in the church yet, then we can place them for their year in a church. But most trainees do their first year with DNA based in their own church. So it's church-based, uh, it's discipleship-orientated, head, hands and heart. It's dependent on the power and the person of the Holy Spirit, so we are unashamedly charismatic in our approach. We have a strong emphasis on women in ministry as well as men in ministry. Uh, We believe that to be a biblical position, not just a culturally adjusted position, um, because we think that leadership is about serving, and I think women are just as equipped to serve as men are. Um, And also Uh, One of our other key distinctives is what I'll call non-relational Christianity and non-religious Christianity. In other words, heavy emphasis on relationship, not rules or rituals or regulations about relationship with God, relationship with yourself, relationship with the body of Christ and relationship with a broken world. So that's that's what we're still Currently doing and and the absolute joy, Nigel. The thing that keep people say, "How can you do this for thirty four years?" And the answer is, it's different every year because people are different and people are so precious. So I I learn stuff every year trying to serve these people and the team that serve these people. Um, and and what we see year on year is transformed lives. It's not it's not our work. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. DNA doesn't belong to us; it belongs to God, and it's for His glory. And so, and so we see people. I mean, they can physically look different. They look radiant as as things fall off them from their past, and and God breathes things into them for their present and for their future. And it's just wonderful. And eighty percent of the people who do DNA uh, go on to work in caring professions because they're people and God orientated. And about twenty. 20 to 25% year on year go through DNA and then become part-time or full-time workers in their local church. So
1: it's, it's such a huge privilege to be involved in. Wow. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Now I, I, I hear that one of your hobbies is escapology. <laughs> yes. Um, Tell us just a little bit about this and where has, where has escapology taken you? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yes. Okay. It it does seem a bit strange, doesn't it? Um, Is this like houdini
1: escapology? is it?
0: Yes, exactly that. Exactly that. And that's actually that's exactly how I got into it. So um, I read a book from the local library uh, when I was 11 years old about Houdini. I'd heard of it, but I didn't. I thought actually I thought he was a myth. I didn't think he was real and uh, And then I read this book about him, and and it had pictures, and it was his life story and and I was intrigued and fascinated and i 've always enjoyed by personality i 've always enjoyed a challenge you know if you say there 's a locked door and you can 't go through it i 'll kind of think I, 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 why and I bet i could and and sort of sort of take the challenge up and also I've always enjoyed like small mechanical devices. That's why I, I repair clocks and watches and collect keys and locks and then handcuffs and so on and open safes and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that progressed on a journey from 11 years old. Well, by the time I was 15, um, I did my first public performance in escapology um, at, at uh, our church, at my own church's uh, Harvest Supper, um and uh, that was great fun I was absolutely nerve-wracked by the time I was 18 I was doing it kind of semi-professionally bringing a little bit of money in to help me at university um and so I was began to develop what I'll call the bigger scale escape so not just ropes and chains and locks and handcuffs and straitjackets, but then hanging from cranes upside down 120 foot up by, by your ankles in the straitjacket and escaping going into a forty-gallon water-filled oil drum with the lid pad locked on, etc. Outside, or you know, all of that sort of that sort of that stuff. Really is Houdini stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just loved it. And um, the thing is, I was doing this kind of stuff as a hobby, and then God called me to be an evangelist. And I, I mentioned to you earlier, I was working a lot in schools and taking lots of assemblies and, and, and lessons, and that that. Eats through your material, and I was thinking, "Oh Lord, what I what do I do for new material? What can I communicate that I will communicate with passion, and it might intrigue people?" And I'm thinking, "Oh, oh make escapology," and then I started to toy with the imagery that's involved of being fastened up in stuff that you yeah. struggle against, but you can't get out of. Yeah, but there must be a way of escape, and then doing the escape and saying, "And you know what." selfishness and sin in our lives ties us up and it doesn't matter how hard you struggle you can't set yourself free but there is a way to escape and his name is jesus said i am the way and so it became an image and that took me through family fun days you know twenty five thousand people and uh, with a you know microphone doing an interview about my faith as well as the escape and TV work and radio work, and then across uh, Europe and a in, bit into America and, and South Africa. So it was great fun, um, heady days. Uh, and then, and then I trained people up to do it as well, Christians, other Christians, to use the imagery. Uh, and and God eventually said to me, Peter, it's time to stop doing that. Um, and and so I stopped, <laughs> uh, but I'm still passionate about it. I still I still collect handcuffs and. and, and locks and keys and stuff yeah. like that so yeah so that was uh, that was the escapology
1: yeah I, I um my, my only sort of um um brush with this is uh we have a garden shed and I lost the key for it <laughs> and um and I thought and I I didn't want to to be honest, I didn't want to go and pay pay a locksmith to come so I thought there's got to be a way to do this it's got so so um very stupidly I went into Screwfix and I said do you sell uh lock picking kits? <laughs> I think he was about to phone the police I think. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Yep. No, no I don't. Go away. And so <laughs> I, think I, I may have gone into B&Q and asked the same question they almost did lock me up. Uh, anyway, cut I I managed to get hold of a lock picking set with this guy sent me on it was on eBay or something. And uh he sent yeah. me a long, a long uh, letter with it to say this is a, uh, this is um my favorite lock picking kit and you know, da da and this will pick any lock and da I'd never done this before. Um and I went on YouTube and, and looked at some things and blow me down. I went out to the garden shed with this kit and I unpicked the lot. I couldn't <laughs> believe it. There, there was some, there's something the most amazing feeling when you sort yeah. of and all of a sudden it comes yeah. undone. You think, oh my Absolutely. goodness.
0: You're hooked, sure. Nigel, you're hooked. You I, could be the next Christian
1: escapologist. <laughs> so so I was I was just, I was telling everybody about it, you know. Absolutely brilliant. Now, um, to more serious matters, although um, having, you know, getting out of a, a huge tank of water all padlocked down is a very serious matter. Um, um, You cited to me that the revelation of the Father Heart of God has been a significant spiritual event in your life. Um, why is that?
0: Yeah, I think, um, well, I take you back to what I described at, at the end of my second year in full-time Christian ministry. So I'd spent two years by then uh, in the East End of London with hardly any friends, because I was completely out of context, in a city and not uh, not in a rural village, um, with all of the pressures of full-time Christian ministry, um, all of the guilt that I was carrying because I was living off other people's giving, And therefore, I felt, you know, I've not got a real job and they have not they pay me to do this. And therefore, I can't stop doing this. And so not taking a day off for a couple of years, 100 hour weeks, that sort of stuff. And basically, um, you can only do that for so long. Um, And and I I cracked under the strain of that. There were also some other stuff going on in the background to do with my car got written off that had been given to me by Christian. And my, my then girlfriend packed me in. And so there's a lot of stuff going on. And uh, the the result of that is that I basically had a nervous breakdown. I had a Christian doctor who was very kind, signed me off, put me on antidepressants, um, and I began a slow journey of rebuilding. And, and, And I suppose part of that taught me some lessons about boundaries and about warning signs and stuff like that, which I've tried to use since to help other people with. But towards my emerging from that time, Nigel, I... I was part of a church, um, again, in the East End, which was a Pentecostal church. And the church minister, had been, he was just a lovely, an elderly guy, lovely, lovely, gentle man of God. And he'd been faithful, coming round, praying with me, holding my hands, sometimes not speaking, just being there uh, as I kind of walked through this. And, and he said to me, Pete, do you think you're ready to start to re-engage in terms of fellowship? Because I didn't want to see people. And... And it, and it hesitantly, like I mean out of COVID, I hesitantly, I I, I went back to church, but I, I thought I can't cope with lots of people, I can't cope with people asking me lots of questions. So I'd slip in at the back after the meeting started and I'd sit on my own at the, in the back row and then I'd slip out before it finished so that I could engage with God, but I couldn't cope with engaging with people. One Sunday morning I did that, exactly that. And I'm sitting there with my eyes closed and letting the worship wash over me, and I heard and felt someone sit down next to me, right next to me, and I thought, "Oh no, I, I keep my eyes closed. I don't want to. I don't want to get in conversation." And then I felt this person put their arm around my shoulder, and and hold me, and I can't describe to this day, Nigel, how the the sense of that of that hug that. That it, that it was unshakable that it was full of love that I was completely safe that there was healing in that kind of connection and I thought oh my goodness I don't know who this is but this is incredible anyway I could hear the service was drawing to a close so I, I opened my eyes to turn to the person next to me and there wasn't anybody sitting next to me and I knew, I mean, that can sound as wacky as you like, but I knew that what had happened is that the Father had come, God himself, and had kindly sat with me and held me and soaked in some of my pain and, and poured in some healing. And I had such a strong sense of the Father's love and of the Father's approval. And it shifted me fundamentally from being a slave of God who worked hard for him and for it all (laughs) and it shifted me to being a son and to being adopted into his family the stuff that we read about in Romans 8 where the Holy Spirit cries out rises up within us and cries out and says you're a son of the living God Uh, and and that allowed me then as a son to be a servant not a slave but to be a servant and 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 I, that's never left me. I've had uh, other experiences as dramatic and, and many not as dramatic since. But that's never left me because it fundamentally changed the nature of my relationship with God. Yeah, uh, I, I think made it much more biblical and, and much more experiential.
1: Yeah, 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 absolutely. Fan- that's fantastic. That is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Um, turning to the word of God... Um, what, why is it so important to you?
0: I love it. <laughs> I love it. I'm very passionate about Scripture. I, I never teach or preach uh, without landing and rooting what I'm saying in into Scripture. Uh, I'm I'm constantly fascinated by the book. When I first got filled with the Holy Spirit at university, nineteen, um, things like gifts of the Holy Spirit followed so words of knowledge and speaking in tongues and stuff like that became my experience which I'm grateful for so this is my experience but the first thing that happened to me at university was the word of God came alive to me and and I I got this you know I got this authorized version bible that I'd won by memorizing scriptures at Sunday school uh, but I never read it you know it probably popped up a wobbly bed leg on in my in my room at CUNY but but suddenly I got into and then I started thinking oh, there might be better translations that would help me, actually. And I, and I started to explore that. So I moved then to the Revised Standard Version. And then at the end of my time at university to the NIV, which is probably still predominantly where I am now. Um, I use a variety of, of versions for study um, and I just love it. And the reason why I love it, I don't worship it. I, I, I kind of slightly object to it being called the Holy Bible because only God is holy. <laughs> so I don't worship the book. I worship the one that the book reveals. Yeah. And that's why I love the book, yeah. because it is God's, it's God's narrative story. It's the unfolding story of who God is and what he's like and his intervention in human history and who we are and what we're like. And I absolutely love the book
1: because of that. Yeah. Do you have a favourite Um one of the sixty six books or character <laughs> <laughs> um, that 's always a difficult
0: question isn 't it uh, I, if you If you push me, it would probably be Colossians actually, uh, which I think people sometimes think is slightly unusual uh, I, I, partly because like it 's one of the first books I got into uh, at university, um partly because it 's written by uh, probably my favorite author in in scripture uh, which is paul yeah. um, it's an unusual one because he's writing to a church that he didn't plant. So that's a bit unusual. But I love that some of the main themes, it's, it's a corrective book. It seems to be trying to correct some heresy uh, in the early church there at Colossae. And, um, and I love some of the things that therefore emerge. So you only worship God, you don't worship angels. There's no such things as high days and holy days, as though we're separating out the sacred and the secular, whereas actually all of life is about God. All of life is about God, which is a very Jewish way of thinking. We we've adopted a kind of Greek way of thinking, where you can believe one thing and live another. Yes. But, but the holistic, uh, Hebraic way of thinking is all of life is about
1: God, belongs to God, and and I think that comes across beautifully in the Book of Colossians. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, Colossians one fifteen. He is the image. Jesus is the image yeah. of the invisible God, the yeah. firstborn of all creation. Yeah. By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, and so on. Some, beautiful...
0: yeah, um, and one twenty-eight. I think uh, he is—he is the supremacy. He came in order that, in all things, he might have the supremacy. Fantastic.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, You've reminded. I think we're, I'm going to finish with some verses in Colossians in a minute when we, when we wrap up. Uh, do you have a favourite verse? <laughs> Again.
0: <world? laughs> There you go. Um, I think I think many of us would have life, what I call life verses, verses that come to us again and again that have layers and layers of of meaning and revelation. And God speaks to us a lot through, you know, prophecy and uh, all sorts of circumstances. One such for me uh, would be Romans twelve uh, and the first couple of verses. Uh, and, and again, that's because it, it, you have within that a pithy little definition of our spiritual worship. We try and make it all about style and, and, and just songs and whether it's from this stable or that stable but according to Romans 12 1 and 2 our spiritual worship is that we submit ourselves to God we yield to God and as a result of that we become transformed by the renewing of our minds metamorpho to literally be to me- metamorphosized uh, by the renewing of uh, the core of our mind a literal word at announce the way that we sniff our way to the essence of things. So Romans twelve one and 2 is uh, is all about all about what I'm all about I think really. So uh, it's and it's what I aspire to. I'm not there. I'm not there, but it's why I aspire to.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And 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 that's what the word does. The word word with the spirit transforms a person. Yes. Yes. Um which which is fantastic. That's what you're about. That's what we are about too. What's next for Pete Gilbert? <laughs> um, well, more of
0: the same. I think I'm I'm very happy doing what I'm doing. I, I'm in a fortunate position of uh, my calling. Ninety uh, percent of what I do, I love. There's always a cost, but I love what I do. I'm grateful to God. For that. So, I have uh, the people that I mentor in relational commitment to them. I have DNA, which we're looking at how do I transition that because I can't go on forever, but we think that God is saying that that should continue uh, the, the next stage. So, we're looking at that, thoughts on succession. Um, I have care of 11 churches that I look after on a regular basis so it's also kind of in inputting them and loving and caring for them and enabling them to do way more than I could ever do Um, so more of the same um, but finding increasingly deeper and better ways of doing it I want to I want to run the race well Nigel and I'd like to finish well so that's that's
1: my goal. Amen to that absolutely absolutely well i'm going to finish with some verses from colossians because you, you cited that as your favorite uh, bible book or one of them at least um and uh colossians 1 9 to 12 is a beautiful prayer for people and um let me just read it and so from this day the day that we've heard we've not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Uh, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And may you be strengthened, Pete, with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience, with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints mm. in light. Colossians mm. 1, 9 to 12. Mm. So we conclude with that prayer. Uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It's a wonderful story. It's a wonderful journey. And I love your passion for the Lord and wanting to tell others about him. And as you say, you know, we're, we're not all evangelists, but we're all called to be witnesses.
0: Absolutely. And
1: Absolutely. for those who are listening, I would encourage you to be a witness for Christ. And and we have more opportunities than we know in order to do that. Absolutely. So I would encourage you to take those and uh, follow in Pete's example. So Pete, God bless you. Thank you, uh, Nigel. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. Lovely to be with you. Thank you. Yeah, and you too. Bye for now. Bye.